Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Good evening, everyone. I am substituting for Minister John. This is Mary. God bless you all. I'm going to give a small introduction and then go into the prayer. The Bee Gees are a famous musical group that was established in the late 50s and rose to notoriety in the 70s. Among their hits is the song, Love You Inside Out. Today's message is about the God who demonstrates his love for us precisely that way. First on the outside, then from the inside out. In times of global pandemics, wars, rumors of wars, racial unrest, systematic oppression, abuse of power, riots, domestic terrorism, treason, human trafficking, sexual immorality, inflation, addiction, domestic violence, gun violence, spying, espionage, unfair scales of justice, suppression of history and truth. We must remember that, number one, these are the signs of the times. Number two, the return of the Lord is near. Number three, this is an hour of tempting and testing. Number four, these are trials of faith. And number five, Jesus endured and overcame, so must we by his example. Today's message is entitled, the Greater Word, the Greater Covenant. Subtopic, Love You Inside Out. Opening prayer is inspired by, and I hope you would grab a pen, to write down the scriptures. Hebrews 8. The Book of Revelation in entirety. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. Matthew 16, verse 19. Joshua 23, 10. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 30 through 36. John chapter 16, verse 33. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Zechariah 4, verse 6. 
Philippians 1, verse 6. Philippians 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And Ephesians 3, verse 20. Heavenly Father, tonight I ask that you would be with each one who is gathered to hear your word, whether they hear it tonight for the first time or any day in the coming days, months, or years. I ask that you would be with their minds and hearts so that they can hear and perceive what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, the church. For those who are not yet born again, I ask that you would make them good ground to be re recipients of the message of your love, that they would take it to heart, would be born again of your spirit, and that their lives would be transformed so that they would receive all that you have for them, that things would turn around for the better from this moment on. Help me be with my mind, my heart, my spirit so that I can be in tune with what you need me to be, with what you need me to hear, how you need me to be in this moment as you bring forth the message that you know is essential for each one who will hear it. You told me that if I bind something on earth, you would bind it in heaven. If I loose something on this earth, you would loose it in heaven. And knowing that I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, I'm going to do just that. Coming into agreement with other believers on this evening, that you will have your way and yours alone. I bind any and all interference, any and all demonic attacks and disturbances, the wrong mindsets, the wrong attitudes, Lord. If there's anything at all that would hinder us from getting out of this what you need us to move it out of the way. So those hindrances whether they be small or great, mountainous, I bind them, and I say, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, do not rise up again, even your evidence, even the residue of you, be gone. So I bind you all up in the name of Jesus, and now I lose divine intervention, because I know that when two or more of us gather together in the name of Jesus, you are mighty in our midst, and you are at work in our circumstances. You're transforming those circumstances, even now under the sound of my voice, I do believe in the finished work of Calvary that you've already done it before this day existed, before we ever called on you. You heard our inner cry, the faintest cry. You answered, you did something about it. You laid down your life. How much more will you provide for us the things that we have need of? But I am reminded that you say, seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and whatever we have need of will be added to us. So help us to endure, to believe your word, to trust and obey. We know that there are obstacles and tribulations in this world, but you told us to be of good cheer because you've overcome the world. And likewise, you said greater is God who is in us than he and the problems that are in this world. We have already overcome those things. You call us little children reminding us that you've handed us over the victory.
We are recipients of victory every morning that we wake up. And coming to a close, I want to thank you, Lord, that there is power in agreement, power in unity, because one may chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. But when you manifest your presence in our midst and our circumstances, oh my God, whatever it is, whether it be a 20,000 demons, whether it be an infinite number of assailants and attacks coming straight from the pit of hell, you run them all off because you are God all by yourself. And I am grateful to know that each believer, each one of us who's born again of your spirit, we are one with you, God. So tonight's message is entitled, The Greater Covenant, The Greater Word. These things I ask in the name of Jesus that you would be glorified. Do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You've begun the good works. I know that you will continue to perform them as it is written. You have begun good works in us and you will be the one who will continue to perform them. I loose the manifestation of such for your own name's sake. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Getting started, I will not have any of the scriptures up as Minister John normally does, but when there is the rebroadcast, when he uh, loads it to YouTube or what, what other uh, platform he has in mind, you will be able to see uh, the references that I'm going to go over with you now. So if you would please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. Again, that is Matthew, chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. I'm going to read this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. He departed. 
and angels came and attended him. Jesus once taught his disciples that a servant is not greater than his master. We see in the book of Matthew chapter 4 how the devil himself tempted Jesus at a very vulnerable moment in his life while he was fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. Surely he was hungry, famished, thirsty, sleepy, headachy even, suffering. That's a very long time to go without water, food, without creature comforts, without a bed, without entertainment. And that's when the devil came to him, when he thought that he was at his weakest. He thought he was going to catch him out off guard. So how much more do you, do you think he's going to come at you or, or maybe at me or our friends or our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? He's going to come at you, unfortunately, when he feels that you are at your weakest. But I am reminded that God's grace is sufficient for his strength is made perfect in weakness. And we see the strength of God made perfect in the Son of God, the Lord God himself in Christ. When Jesus himself was tempted, he overcame Satan by a greater word. So the devil tried to use quoting scripture from the Old Testament against the testator himself, the very living word incarnate, the living epistle who embodied the New Testament, which is the greater covenant that was being established on earth in real time, in the fullness of time, the set time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is a Greek word. The definition says, Chronos is the measure of quantitative time or an exact time. It's also uh, defined as the personification of time, from which we take our word chronology, sequential time, right? Kairos is also a Greek word. It is defined as the qualitative time of life. The Greeks considered it the most appropriate time for something new, not for something old. The Greeks considered Kairos the most appropriate time for something new. And even in this very moment, I am reminded that God in the book of Isaiah said, forget the former things. Do not even consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now it springs forth. I will make rivers in the desert. He's saying, I'm going to do something new, and I want you to be perceptive. Again, Kairos is the concept that has its origins in the practice of Greek archery. I did say archery, like bow and arrow. It says the concept has its origins in the practice of Greek archery, representing the moment when the archer 
finds the perfect opening to shoot his arrow and hit his target. The reason I got excited is because I am reminded of what the scripture says in the fullness of time or in Kairos, right? At the exact time in Kronos, Christ died for you and me. He died for the ungodly. When we were without strength, when we were at our weakest, he gave his life for us so that when we would be tempted of the devil, when we would go through adversity and hardship, trials and tribulation, no, come what may, he knew that we would have access for those of us who would be born again, who would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, who would believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He knew that his grace would be made available to every one of us who would just believe him, who would just believe that he was born of a virgin, Mary, that in the fullness of the time, in the set time, when Kronos kissed Kairos and gave birth to the date when God would hit his target, and he would walk the earth with his disciples, according to John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelled among them. And I'm excited to say that in this new covenant, which is the greater covenant, he doesn't just walk outside of us. He is the God who dwells within us. The 127th Psalm, verse 5 says, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Quiver is a word that is not what we usually hear in modern times, right? Unless you're into archery, you know what a bow and an arrow is. You would have inside of your quiver or your bag, your arrows. Well, God has a bag of arrows. And he refers to his children as arrows. And he is blessed because his quiver is full of brethren, full of the first, this, 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 this new thing that he said that he was going to do. So we are his offspring. He weaponizes us against the adversary. So when the adversary tries to come at us, and he uses every weapon that he can think of, and he doesn't have any new tricks, right? You know, he can only cater to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Categorically, those are the three main things that he uses. And yes, he's the author of confusion. He steals. He's a thief. He lies. He's a liar from the beginning. He's a killer. He's a murderer. Still kill, destroy, right? We know that. He causes confusion. And those are his fruits. Things of that nature. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what he does because God then weaponizes his own children and he aims us right at the target into enemy territory to take back what the adversary stole. He didn't only steal opportunities, but he stole things like Peace, peace of mind, joy, 
love, mercy, forgiveness, the ability to hear what the Lord is saying, what the spirit of the living God is saying to the church. He stole things like that from us, you know, dominion power, but Christ won back that authority. And he said, I've given you power over all of the works of the adversary. You trample him underfoot. So we see that Jesus strategically overcomes the adversary with the word of God. As I stated, tonight's message, today's message, this eternal message is entitled the greater covenant, the greater word. So if you notice the adversary in the book of Matthew chapter four, verses four through 11, he uses the Old Testament. And he's facing the New Testament, the testator who was about to die, who had actually already laid down his life before the foundations of the world were laid. According to the book of Revelation, he had already laid his life down before there was a problem with sin, before the tempter could test, could tempt any of us, test any of our patience. Christ had already answered. And so when he died at Calvary and he said, it is finished, he meant literally everything was already finished. It was already settled. And that's how the apostle John could walk with Jesus and end up a time later in the spirit and see that all of these things had already been finished. He could see the lamb slain. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. So our faith has to move from, I believe that you are able to God. I believe that you have already done it. Just because we do not see it right now doesn't mean that he hasn't already answered. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it says, yet. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. I get excited when I read Isaiah 53 verse 10. Why? Because once again, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus suffered and it pleased God because he saw the end game. He saw the broader picture. He knew that this was going to produce a multitude of little Christians, little Christians, believers. We would become his offspring when we would hear the message of the gospel which is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. And when we say, well, how how am I going to be saved in Romans 10? 9 and 10, 
which I was quoting from John 3, 16 through 17. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 is the message of the gospel. But when we ask, well, what do I do to be born again? How must I be saved? We find that in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. Basically, it's saying if you believe that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, you and your house. You have to believe that in your heart and then confess what you believe with your mouth. You have to speak what you believe because when you're hungry, what do you normally say? I'm hungry. When you have a headache, what do you say? I've got a headache. But then you take it a step further and you go get food if you have access to it. And what do you do? You go grab some Tylenol if you have access to it. Or if you don't believe in taking over the counters, you drink some tea or you put an ice pack on it. You do something to remedy those symptoms. Well, Jesus is the remedy, the message of the gospel, him dying on Calvary, bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders, becoming sin, he who knew no sin, embodying it, you know, paying the penalty for every mistake that I could ever make, past, present, or future tense, for everyone that would ever be born on earth in times past, present, and future tense. He suffered and paid the perfect price. The ultimate price was paid by him giving his life in substitution for yours and mine. He atoned once and for all for our sins. That's the message of the gospel. And not only did he die that one good time, being uh, the fulfillment of that type of, he became that, that all-sufficient lamb, that, that one-stop shop. He didn't have to sacrifice animals anymore like they did under the old covenant, which though that covenant was good, according to Hebrews, it wasn't the greater covenant. So that's why tonight's message is called the greater covenant, the greater word. We have to know that when he walked with Moses, Moses may not have seen him. He heard him, you know, but here's the thing. We have access just the way that the high priest did. But from the inside, the high priest had to go inside of a secret place, you know, in order to a meeting place. And they would bring the, the slain animals, the blood sacrifices. But when Jesus, in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, he was aimed as the perfect arrow into the enemy's camp to set the captives free. When he died on the cross, our Savior, and yes, he is the Savior of all mankind, for those of us who would just believe receive and speak what we believe right see he was aimed as the perfect arrow in the enemy's camp he went to hell in your place and my place he replaced you he he started the foreign exchange student program see hell was foreign to him fire and brimstone hell was foreign to him because he knew no sin, but he became sin and went to hell. That is because the wages of sin, what does it say? The wages of sin is death. 
So he had to die and go to hell for you and for me to have a right to the tree of life, a right to be able to have safe passage, not to hell, but to heaven. And heaven starts for the, for the believer the moment we are born again. The moment we believe the message of the gospel, we enter into a heavenly realm where the God sets up his kingdom in our hearts. And if we allow him, if we believe his word, if we eat the word of God and we esteem it more than our necessary food and we have a steady diet of the word of God, we will become convinced that it is the truth. Faith will come by hearing it and hearing it again. And then we'll begin to act on what did God say rather than what is the world saying? What is the news reporting? What if, what is my body saying to me? What does the doctor's report look like? No, we'll begin to say, but thus saith the Lord. And the more we speak that word, then the angels too will cater to us and minister, minister to us just the way that they attended to Jesus when he was tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4. When you resist the adversary and when you even resist adversity, it must flee from you. But how do you resist it? By replacing it with the greater word. Again, the message is entitled, The Greater Covenant, The Greater Word. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. No, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you just remember 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. You meditate on that. Get a vision for what that really means. Pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal, to teach, because that's part of his job. He's called the comforter and the spirit of truth the one who guides us into all truth. He hears in heaven whatever God has already said, whatever God has already written and pushed in motion about us on earth. And it's his job to give us divine intel. So this is why our prayer life is so important. But Jesus said, when you stand praying, the posture of your heart has to be a posture of forgiveness. If you take the weight, the, the very heavy weight of unforgiveness into your prayer closet, you're going to be bogged down. You're going to have a guilty subconscience that's telling you, you know, you really do need to let that go. You know, <laughs> Christ died for you, the ungodly. He did it for all of us. He loves us equally. 
So since he made forgiveness available to whomsoever would come and open up the free gift of salvation, right? Can't you be as merciful and offer the same level of love to the one who has offended you? So even if you don't know how to forget how to forgive, shouldn't you at least say, God, I don't know how to forgive. I don't know that I want to forgive, but I do know that I want you to bless me with continued forgiveness. I know that I want to be able to ask for your forgiveness when I mess up and I want to receive your forgiveness and a new chance to get it right and to go on with life as if I never messed up. Because in accordance with the 103rd Psalm, as far as the East is from the West, so far have have you removed my sins and my transgressions. As far as the East is from the West. Who knows what the true measure of that is? (laughs) But God, the creator, the one who measures the East from the West. And likewise, he's saying we need to let these things go. And when we don't know how, we just need to be honest with God and say, I need your help because I want to get this thing right. So then that posture is there because God saw that at least we were willing to do it his way. Matthew chapter six is the chapter where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he gives them a model prayer. And after he finishes with the model prayer, he says, but when you stand praying, you need to be in a posture of forgiveness. Okay, so first and foremost, don't have uh, ill will in your heart and on your mind about the people that he, he gave his life for. He gave his life for all people. We may not like the people. He never commanded us to like the people. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? You know what? He also said, love the stranger. Who is a stranger? Some of your neighbors are strangers. The, the, here's the common denominator, love. The subtopic is love you inside out. God loves us inside out. He started on the outside in the old covenant. And though it was good, according to the book of Hebrews, the greater covenant is the new thing that was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that Christ would do in the fullness of time. So first of all, let's get that straight. We do not have the ability and of ourselves to do this forgiveness thing, to do this believing God thing. We don't even, it's not going to come from, from us. It's got to come from on high. We just have to simply confess the truth. God, I can't forgive him. He did that. They did the unspeakable, the unthinkable, and they kept on doing it. But I want to please you. If you have a willingness, God will credit it to your account as paid in full. And instead of imputing unforgiveness to you, he he imputes to you his forgiveness toward that offender in your account because you were at least willing to tell the truth that you needed him to help you do it, right? Right. So then when we look at 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So it's interesting that it's telling us that we wage war. And I bet you didn't understand that you were waging war Because the way the world wages war is usually with guns, 
with weapons of mass destruction. But God is telling us that our weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world, right? There are weapons such as praise. When you praise the Lord, God sends an ambush against the adversary's camp, especially when you're having it hard, especially when you're going through bankruptcy, especially when you need a job, especially when you need income, especially when you need more income, especially when you need surgery, but you can't afford it, especially when you need medical insurance, but you don't have it. God knows what we need. And if you praise him when you are in need, when you are suffering, you are waging war. Your prayer becomes a weapon against the enemy of your soul. And guess what? If you keep praising God, it becomes a sacrifice when you feel like crying or while you are crying. You may even be on a deathbed, just an inch within your life. But if you turn that into a hallelujah or you just think a hallelujah. The Holy Spirit hears that and he interprets that. And not only does he interpret every tear and every cry and every moan and all of your mental anguish and your empty bank account and your bare cupboards and your lack of transportation, he even interprets your very lack as the perfect prayer, and he presents it before God when you are so frustrated and so wounded by the adversities that you are going through, God still hears the perfect prayer because according to Romans chapter 8, we have help. With our prayer infirmity, we don't know always how to pray as we ought to. Sometimes we can't even pray because of what we're going through or because something is so sad that someone you care about is going through or because you're tired of hearing in the news that yet another black man got shot by a cop, that yet another minority, a brown and black person got shot. And it seems like the scales of justice are always imbalanced when it comes to that very thing. And you don't know how to pray and you get angry and God understands and he interprets that. But he says, be angry and sin not. He didn't even say be angry and protest. He said, don't sin. I've got help for you. Jesus is your great high priest. He is always praying for you, and he never prays amiss. So when you can't even get a prayer out, he always gets a prayer through. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, it talks about the armor of God. What is armor? Armor is protective gear. It's normally something you hear about that protects your body when under an attack. Back in the days of King Arthur and the Round Table, they wore armor, and there's always this knight in shining armor concept that was so popular in the entertainment industry in Hollywood, right? And that armor was very heavy. And you know what? It would be pretty hard to get wounded with that kind of armor, but we've got better armor because remember, not only are the weapons of our warfare not carnal, but mighty through God, most effective, not just mighty, but they are the most effective weapons through God. The armor of God 
isn't carnal either. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20 says, Finally, be strong. Be strong in, there we go again, in the Lord and in his mighty power. Oh God, I'm so excited. So think about it. Be strong in the Lord. You might, look, look, before you were born again, you were only weak. But when you became a born again believer in Christ Jesus, you are in him. And that is where your strength is. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where it is. It's in Christ. Outside of him, there's no real power. All power belongs to God. For that is the kingdom, the power. There it is. It belongs to him. So when you're in him, you are strong and you have his power. It says, put on the full armor of God. Another place in scripture, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What greater armor is there than putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? But it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood and the economy and anything else, but it is against the rulers in the invisible realm, in the spirit realm, against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full, not some of the pieces, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth, thy word is truth. It is written, the word of God is the truth. It may be a fact that you've got an eviction notice in your mailbox. It may be a fact that you are in serious debt and that you have a, a terminal illness. But guess what? That has to bow down right now in the name of Jesus to the truth of God's word, which is written with his stripes, you are healed. And with his stripes, we were healed. Therefore, we are healed. It is the truth that we know that sets us free. God said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It shall make you healed. It shall make you whole. It shall transform you. You shall become transfigured. Things will turn around in your favor. You will be the head and not the tail, the lender and not the borrow. As Jesus is, so are you, so are we. That's what it says. We're more than conquerors. That's what it says. That's why you don't want to believe the fact or the facts of life, you want to replace the fact of your circumstances with the truth of God's word. That's why it says stand firm. That's how you stand firm, with the belt of the truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish. Listen, listen, listen. It says with, with which you can. It doesn't say can't. It's telling what 
what you can do. In Philippians, we quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me continually. That's the truth. And that's why it says in verse 16, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, not some, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. See, when two or more believers gather together in the name of Jesus, he makes his presence known. Why else would he say, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests? How do you get in the spirit? Praise the Lord. Worship God for who he is, not only for what he's done and what he can do. Worship him because he replaced you. He went to hell so that you can go to heaven. Worship him because he paid the price for your crimes, not just your sin, for your crimes. And he went to jail so you don't have to. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord because he bore every illness, every sickness, all diseases, every tumor, every fibroid, anything that is named that is negative, anything that has a name, anything that is created coming from the kingdom of hell. Let me tell you. Christ has replaced it. He became the perfect substitution for you and for me. And so instead of getting hellish outcomes, he is access to heavenly outcome. That's why he said, ask me for what is on. Give me, he says, on earth as it is in heaven, because on earth right now, it's like this, this and this. So he said, then pray my will on earth be done as it is in heaven, because what did he say about heaven? You won't be crying in heaven. You won't be dying in heaven because that's eternal life. You won't be sick in heaven. You won't be able to lie or be lied on or lied to or deceived or confused. That is the fruit of Satan. That is the fruit of hell. None of that is in, he in heaven. So pray for heaven on earth. He says, so pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And don't just touch and agree with the believers. Bind the evil circumstances. And you tell those circumstances that they are lying to you. Because if God didn't speak that over your finances and he didn't speak it over your body, then the world doesn't have a right to send it to you in the mail or by email or get on the phone and get in your ear and try to influence you with false evidence appearing real real. That stands for fear, false evidence appearing real. It may be appearing, but it is false evidence and it is not real. What is real is the living God, the one and only almighty God of the Exodus is the same God of Calvary. The God of David is the God of Jesus, and he is the Lord God. He is not just the son of God. He said, when you have seen me, you have seen the father. So bind up the evil. And when you bind it on earth, God says, cause it's already bound in heaven because I don't allow that mess up here. See, then he says, loose 
the heavenly realm. And then you begin to say, and now I loose the word of healing. You said with your stripes, I'm healed. So then I loose that into my body, into my doctor's report, into my, my cells, into my immune system, into my head, into my hair follicles, into my ep epidermis, into everything to do with me, into my uterus, into my inner parts, into my heart, into every vital organ, into my bank account, into my wallet, my pocketbook, into my career into my streams of income and into my talents, my abilities, into every area of my life. I am speaking and loosing God's authority, his rule, his reign, his dominion, him sitting on the throne, him being the only influence. So I loose that on earth as it is in heaven in the name of Jesus. Always seal it in the name of Jesus and plead the blood of Jesus, knowing that the blood of Jesus speaks your victory and it never loses power. The blood of Jesus was shed for you and me. And Jesus said, and as often as you remember him by taking the cup and drinking it, and and eating the body of Christ, it's communion, in other words, it's symbolic of the body of Christ. And often as you do this discerning, not being undiscerning, but knowing, knowing what it means, communion, knowing what that means, the cracker and the juice, the wafer and the wine, the bread and the wine, however you do it, when your heart is right and you know what it means to you, you are entering into a special blessing that can't even be uttered with words. You do this in remembrance of his great sacrifice. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Because guess why? If you're going through something that you know is upsetting you and you know it's too big, too heavy for you to bear and you cast your cares on the Lord, certainly somebody is going through something worse or they're at least going through something similar. Pray for me also, Paul said, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, because this is where we've got to get to. Jesus didn't just die for you to believe in him and go to heaven. He says, but you got so, you're catching so much hell on earth. I am here to equip you to escape this hell, these traps and these chains, these strongholds. These entrapments, these enticements, these wiles of the devil, these fiery darts. I'm giving you the formula of how to break every chain in your life. And that comes with a one-on-one -on -one experience in the Lord. Even when you feel your weakest, God has already prayed for you. He, he has already put in motion and performed everything necessary. And you are just going to catch up to the reality that it is finished. See, it may not look finished, feel finished, smell finished, sound finished, seem finished, but it is finished. Because our God cannot lie. When Jesus said it is finished, that's what he meant. So we might as well just repeat what he said. He asks in Isaiah 53, whose report will you believe? You have the ability to make a decision. 
Even if your mind is telling you not to do it, defy your own thinking, get some control over the situation and you open your mouth and you say, God, I believe the report of the Lord until it becomes your reality. And then you speak what you believe. Do you want to keep saying that you have a headache? Do you really? No, our words have power to frame our worlds. What you do want to say is with Jesus stripes, I am healed. Do you really want to say I need a loan? I need to borrow? Or do you really want to say, no, God told me I am the lender and not the borrower. Do you really want to say it seems like Murphy's law and every, every time I do this, that or the other, it goes wrong? Or do you really want to say, no, I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed. Do you really want to say that I'm down and out and depressed? Or do you really want to start saying the truth? The truth is... I am above only and not beneath. It's pretty hard to be depressed when you're at the top. Hallelujah. So then we have to speak God's word. So in coming to a close, I am here to remind you of who you are in Christ. He didn't just buy you with the price of his life for you to sit there in defeat. He wanted you to know that he can speak to you right now, one-on-one, -on -one, and meet the need. So just open your heart and your mind to him. Begin to call on him. Jesus, 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 call on his name. Why? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, because that covenant in the Old Testament, that old covenant, it was great. But guess which one? supersedes that well guess which one is more powerful guess which one is greater see David walked with God Abraham walked with God and righteousness was imputed to them yeah these people heard from him he was on the outside of them Daniel saw you know one who seemed like the angel of the Lord he fainted he was on the outside. That was God saying, I love you inside out. And he couldn't really hear it then because it wasn't the set time. It wasn't the fullness of time. It wasn't Kronos meets Kairos. And then the arrow hadn't been shot yet. But let me tell you, that same God who Daniel saw and he fainted, he was born of the Virgin Mary at the set time, and like the perfect weapon, like the perfect arrow in God's quiver was aimed, and that bow was drawn and fired out at the center of that target called the kingdom of hell so that God would undo and annihilate all of the adversary's works so that you and I wouldn't have to suffer the repercussions of our own bad choices. We didn't have the ability to choose Christ. I thank God that he chose a remnant. We are that remnant who it would be built in us to believe God. For some, and I weep over it, it is not given them the ability to believe the message of the gospel, but for us, it has been given to us to believe. We were created 
for the praise of God's glory. Read the book of Ephesians. Review these books. Review the notes that I gave you. Revisit the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 8. I can't cover everything tonight, but God certainly has, and he is unfolding majesty. So I'm about to open the floor. Be blessed. I want each one of you to, to speak as you are led of the Holy Spirit. Be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, family. I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed. Thank you.